Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Tuesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for being with us as part of your Tuesday, a chilly Tuesday here in the fort. Nippy. Yeah. Winter's here. Not that it wasn't already, but, well, I guess technically we have, what, like nine days or eight days left? Well, it, th- that's the debate. We go back and forth, like the meteorological winter mm-hmm. and the Perception. official winter. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I, I, apparently, we're in meteorological winter, but it's not official till what, 21st, 20th, something like that? I don't yeah, know. Some, one Somebody of those explain days. it to me. I yeah, don't know. I don't get it. It's uh, winter. It's December. Yeah. It's winter. And it's cold. Coming up on the show this morning... We'll have uh, Kyle Lindsay, uh, Bishop Bluers, uh, set to join us in a bit. Plus, Blake Sebring will join us in hour number two. Uh, the, the news of the day yesterday, um, Michael Franke, the Comets co-owner and team president, passed yesterday at 63 years old, uh, passing from cancer. It, it battled that uh, for quite a long time. Now he's at peace and uh, just a, a big loss for the Fort Wayne sports community we'll talk about that uh, after headlines Blake Sebring will join us after the top of the eight o'clock hour as well uh, also Notre Dame gets some clarity on quarterback moving forward Purdue yes I know they were a, a favorite for the national title already going in but now we'll explain why the Boilers are officially a national title contender thanks to yesterday's rankings plus IU Rating James Madison, just like we all expected mm-hmm. when it comes to football. And uh, Bears back in the news. This the time Chicago of, Bears? No. Oh. A Florida Bear. Okay. The, the better kind of Bears. <laughs> hey, watch it. They're five and eight. <laughs> yeah. Thinking playoffs. Five and eight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, morning, Justin. Hello. Good morning. Uh, so coming up on the show, well, let's just dive in right now to headlines. We also have our WWE giveaway. So yesterday was April. What should we do today? We're going to do, let's say, um, oh, let's see. Let's do Hogan. Is in Hulk Hogan. Oh, there you go. Text Hogan to 46862. Again, Hogan to 46862. We'll pick a winner At the end of the show, you'll be in the running for a pair of tickets to see WWE Sunday Stunner coming up April 21st at the Coliseum. Again, just text Hogan to 46862, and you can be a part of it. We'll pick a winner today. We'll pick a winner every day this week on our show, plus every day this week on the Sports Rush with Brett Rump. Again, keyword on today's show is Hogan to 46862. All right, let's dive in to headlines in a wild pair of games in Monday Night Football. So they had two games played at the same time, one on ABC, one on ESPN, and both games ended with, uh, well, quite the thrill. You had a a game-winning drive by Tommy DeVito as the Giants beat the Packers, just like we all expected, Uh and then a game-winning drive by Will Levis as As the Titans rallied back to beat the Dolphins after trailing uh, by double digits late in this game. Two what surprising results last night. Maybe not the, the the Giants over the Packers as much. The Packers had been on a heater, and you expected them to flub it up at some point. Who knew that they were going to do it against Tommy DeVito? But he went 17 of 21, 158 yards and a touchdown. They were able to run the ball, partly because of DeVito. 10 rushes, 71 yards. Saquon Barkley, a couple touchdowns on the ground. 
Wendell Robinson, uh, the the leading receiver for either team, and then Randy Bullock's 37-yard field goal as time expired. New York Giants get the dub over Jordan Love and the Packers. I think the more res- re- surprising result last night for me was, was Tennessee on the road beating Miami. Absolutely. Uh, Titans rushing game didn't do a whole lot. Derrick Henry did have two touchdowns, uh, but overall just 83 yards on the ground. Will Levis threw for 327, a touchdown and a pick. Tua, no touchdowns. Raheem Mostert had two, ran for 96 as a team. I mean, as a team, this is the Dolphins outplay. They forced turnovers like they should not have lost this game. Plain and simple. No, they have a Will Levis over 325 yards passing. And he had a, a good game. Tyreek Hill exited the game with an injury. That hurt Miami. And they weren't able to get really much of anything going offensively, which is very rare for them, especially through the passing game. Jalen Waddle was their leading receiver, but no receiving touchdown, no passing touchdowns for Tua. And the Dolphins dropped to 9-4. and four. So it, when you look at the playoff picture in the AFC, you only have one team now that has double-digit wins with the Ravens. And you have, meanwhile, you have three in the NFC. So it's chaos on the AFC side of things when you look at the playoff picture. And again, the Dolphins failed to win despite winning the turnover battle 3-1, uh, to one, forcing three, only giving up one. So it, it's not ideal uh, when, when you are plus two and you still find a way to lose. When you look at Will Levis now, six games, six starts into his NFL career, what are your opinions? He came out fire, you know, four touchdown passes in his first start. He has eight touchdown passes, three picks, uh, completion percentage, a touch over 58%. He's not a rusher, but we knew that. How would you grade Will Levis? Do you feel confident if you're a Tennessee Titans fan going in the future with Will Levis, or is it still TBD? I think he's settled in. I think that's where I'm at. He's settling in as a rookie. I, I think he's clearly their quarterback, not just for the rest of this year, which they've already announced, but also I think for next year as well. Like It's time to move on from Ryan Tannehill. It's time to move on from Malik Willis, right? They have their guy. Uh, I guess you could keep Willis if you know as a backup, but you got to move on from Tannehill, right? You got to shed that, that salary and move forward. And I, I think... You look at the AFC South, and it is exciting in the aspect that you have a division with four young quarterbacks that have each shown promise. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is more established. He's still got to kind of prove he can be in that top echelon. He's he's probably a top 10 guy, but definitely not top five. But you, you have quarterback play that is exciting. Like, who would have guessed that the AFC South, you'd be excited about the quarterback play beyond, you know, for years and years, it was either Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck and then just a bunch of guys. And it was a, a a division that for a while has been crapped on by people saying that they, you know, maybe arguably the worst division in football. Uh, tough to say now. I think it's very much on the rise. Jacksonville, a bit of a head start with everybody else, but you have to feel good with the quarterback situations for at least the two two of the other teams in Houston and Tennessee. Still TBA for Indianapolis. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> we do know this for Saturday. Kenny Pickett out, so it will be Mitch Trubisky time. Hey, the baby. Colts host the Steelers coming up on Saturday. I mean, you got to win this game if you're the Colts. Yes. You have Mitch coming in. If, if you're going to make the playoffs, this is a, a, a game you have to have. The Cincinnati game on the road, Colts riding a, a four-game 
win streak. Yes, the Colts have been a good road team this year, but eventually, right, those things got to come to an end. But I, I just think you have to have this. I, I fully agree. Winning this game keeps you in control in the sense that you control your destiny in the playoff picture. If you lose it, then you're giving that um, rely. You have to rely on other teams to give you help. So this is a game the Colts have to have on Saturday. Uh, meanwhile, elsewhere in sports, more details came out about Shohei Otani's deal. This is absolutely crazy. <laughs> so the understanding is, again, a lot of people are upset about the, the Dodgers, you know, getting some sweetheart deal. Apparently, he was shopping this deal to everyone. Uh, but his payouts are in the next 20 years, so he'll get $2 million a season through 2033. And then 2034 to 2043, he'll get $68 million a year. Isn't that just wild? nuts. So I think there has to be a rule in Major League Baseball. Yeah, deferred compensation. Deferred co- like there has I to mean, be a limit, right? this is worse than Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, and and it's great. Like this, this gives the Dodgers flexibility, payroll-wise, to build a team around Shohei and not have to worry about breaking the bank for just his contract. There has to be a limit to the... There has to be a percentage set by Major League Baseball that says only a certain percentage of your money can be deferred. Because you already don't have a salary cap. And now you're just going to be able to put a a measurable amount of money as deferred money that doesn't count against the cap as far as I understand. It's dead money, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Which is just absurd. But uh, it's a sweetheart deal for the Dodgers. And if Shohei Otani's fine with it, then he's fine with it. So it's amazing to me. $680 million of his contract will be deferred until after the contract is over, which means at age 50 for Shohei Otani, <laughs> he'll be getting a fat check of $68 million. I, I mean, you know, he got the deal he wanted and teams were willing to pay. Like, right? The market decided. The market decided this was okay. Yeah, it I, is what it, it is. It's a loophole that I think needs to be closed in Major League Baseball, but credit to the Dodgers and Shohei Otani for making it work. So Absolutely. Uh, AP All-American team is out in some notes. Uh, Joe Alt, first team All-American for Notre Dame at tackle. Uh, also on defense, Xavier Watts, the safety of first team All-American. Then on the second team, Audric Estime at running back, made the second team for uh, the Irish for the AP All-American team, as did Howard Cross, the defensive lineman on the second team. And then shout out to Dylan Thieneman, the freshman at Purdue, at safety, third-team AP All-American. I think he's the only Purdue Boilermaker that hasn't transferred, isn't it? <laughs> They've had quite a bit. <laughs> but uh, congrats to all those players on making the team. Meanwhile, uh, at Michigan, there's now an investigation underway as an altercation between Coach Juwan Howard and strength and conditioning coach John Sanderson uh, oh, due to fun. that. So we'll see what happens with that. And then the Indiana Pacers back in action for the first time after the in-season tournament championship game loss to the Lakers, and the Pacers took care of business against the Pistons, 131-123. Benedict Matherin with 30 points off the bench. Uh, he was one of few players to play well in that game against the Lakers, but he dropped 30 miles. Turner bounced back after a tough outing uh, in Vegas uh, with 23 points and eight rebounds. So I, I got to talk about this real quick. You yeah. mentioned Michigan. I had a dream, and Michigan was in it last night. Okay. In fact, Jim Harbaugh was in it. Uh-oh. So this, so I was at a party in Nashville with a bunch of friends, 
and I'm trying to remember it as I talk here. And I get a phone call and it's Jim Harbaugh and he's upset with a story that I wrote on the website that I co-created with Dan Vance, OutsideTheHuddle.net, <laughs> about Michigan. And it was something about violate. It was some preview for the college football playoff or something like that. And I mentioned the about the the issues, and he was upset about it. And we were going back and forth, and uh, it was a very good conversation I had with Jim Harbaugh in this dream. I don't know where it ended up. I think I told him I was going to make some changes to the story, and that's where I left it. But <laughs> just you mentioned that, and it just popped in my head. Just a bizarre, random <laughs> that, dream. That is Harbaugh. bizarre. And it was like the day before his college football playoff game, and I'm like, why is he bothering me with this story yeah. on a on a website that's inconsequential? Well, Shouldn't he be worried about the football game? We laugh, but we've dealt with that as media people. Well, it's right? true. Something so inconsequential right before a big event. And it's like, well, no wonder why no one takes their team seriously. <laughs> Very sure. I'm sure I was thinking that in the dream going, what, I, I, what is Jim Harbaugh doing worrying about what I think? But uh, yeah, that jogged my memory. Interesting. Weird. Uh, meanwhile, uh, again, back here in Fort Wayne, Michael Franke, Comets co-owner and president, passed away, died at 63. Uh, the Franke family bought the team in 1990. He last hoisted the Heli Cup uh, in 2021, part of seven championships in five different leagues during uh his tenure and i and and most importantly kept the team here in fort wayne got the comets name back and i think he was outstanding for us to to work with uh always very gracious to us to local media he was kind of the voice for the fans and the organization just a a, a link and just a, a huge loss for the fort wayne sports community. yeah didn't didn't hold anything back when it came to talking about the k's he was a a fan. I mean, the Frankies were fans, and they they bought the team as fans. And I, I don't think people understand that didn't go through it in the uh, late '80s, early '90s about just how sorry of a state of affairs that Fort Wayne Comet hockey was. And of course, the the owner moving the team, and there was no team in an off season. And and the Frankies bought a team in Flint, moved it here, and rebranded it as the Comets, and and built it from from the ground up effectively. And it led three years later to uh, a Turner Cup. And uh, Michael was a family friend, his wife, uh, good friends with, with, with people in my extended family. And just a very tough loss. And I know he had been going through some health troubles for quite some time. In a way, this is a, a blessing that he doesn't have to go through what he was going through anymore. But it's a tremendous loss for Comet Hockey and everybody who knew him. The dude was as candid as can be. And uh, that goes a long way because fans appreciate that. We appreciated it when he was on the show and, and on when I worked Saturday mornings and talking sports and he was a weekly fixture on that show for so long. And he was a dude that, that heard the fans, understood the frustrations of the fans, but also celebrated with the fans as well at, uh, at opportune moments. So a huge loss. We'll talk more about Michael throughout the show. Absolutely. Well, Blake Sebring on to remember uh, Michael Franke coming up after uh, the top of the hour, eight o'clock hour uh, later on in the show. Coming up on the other side, Kyle Lindsay, Bishop Bluers football coach, along with some Bishop Bluers football players, will join us in studio here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and um, not. Coach Kyle Lindsay, but we have uh, great options for you still in studio with, with uh, 
Bishop Lures, we have Damian Jackson, who's a defensive end, along with Matt Gili, uh, who works here at Federated Media and also Federated Media and, and also is an assistant coach on the team coaching offensive and defensive line. So, fellas, thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having, having us. Me. So, um, Damian, let's start with you. You were on a part of this Class 2A state championship team mm-hmm. uh, that won at Lucas Oil. Was there a moment for you this season where you felt like there was a real opportunity to, to get to state? Uh, yeah. I mean, we said this since I got here my freshman year. We were going to win one. And then, like, the main question during the summer with the trying was, what do you realistically – they got the seniors together and asked us realistically, what do y'all want from the season? And we all set a state championship because that's all what, that's what any team should want. That's what any team should strive for. But we knew we could actually do it. And um, so, no, I, I think from the start of the season, we knew we were going to get it done. How much did the first two games impact that desire and determination? Well, you know, a lot of people say, I like to say this for East Noble, they say we got owned in the trenches, but I feel like anybody who has three back-to-back defensive possessions would be dog-tired. First, <laughs> first game of the year, mm-hmm. they're getting killed just as much. So I'll say that. But, I mean, anyway, it was a learning lesson, you know. We needed those. The adversity hits. We had to learn how to fight with it. And uh, the first two games were very great learning experiences. As you see, we didn't like it, and we went on a six-game winning streak. And, um, you know, they just it just pushed us to be better. You get the, uh, the, the, the desire after those first two games and then ending the regular season, a close game at Homestead. You guys fall 10-7. Um, you never want to lose, but did you feel like you get that loss you still get part of the bell, mm-hmm. but then it gives you maybe a, a ability to refocus then heading into the playoffs? I mean, yeah. We always say that the last game of the year is just a good stable point of where we're at during the season. And if you look at the game, it was a great game. 7-10, yeah. you know, that's a great defensive uh, back-to-back match. And, um, you know, at that point, when we when we had to share the bell, at that point it was just like we don't even really want that. We have a bigger picture in mind, you know. Um, but, I mean, a share of the bell is always cool. Nice bonus uh, addition. Damian Jackson of Bishop Lures joining us in studio this morning here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. So this season for you, uh, you're a senior to to go out with that championship. You're you're talking about how as freshmen you knew you could get there. You guys came so close in in 2020. Throughout the postseason, was it just the momentum that you guys had kind of had and, and then you get to Homestead, that close loss. Was that kind of fuel for you and for the team to kind of reset going into the postseason? I don't. I wouldn't say there was a reset. It was just right back on Monday, get back mm-hmm. to work. Um, you know, and momentum plays a big factor. But the guys, we put in work day in day out. So I would say it was just more like we knew what we could do, and it was a matter of just focusing in, executing, and just like you know, staying on track. It's a long season. And it could get kind of like, you know, sloppy at times. We had some bad practices. But at the end of the day, we got to work after what we want. And that's what we did. Um, So that Monday after, it was just like, now it's winter go home. There is no playing around. Damian, I wanted to ask you about your play. Because going into the season, people talked about Isaac Zay and and Mickey Daring on that defense and and Wes and stuff. And you were able to emerge on the edge as just an absolute force and got stronger and stronger as the year progressed. The two-way playoffs, you were just dominant against Bluffton and, and LCC and, and, the, and the, uh, the state championship game, of course. And just take me through your development over the course of the season because as good as you were, I think maybe it caught, caught some people by surprise just how dominant you developed into on the edge. Well, uh, the biggest factor is I gained 40 pounds from last year. Oh, so, <laughs> how do you do that? 
You just eat. Yeah, man, I remember <laughs> those days where I could just eat and not, you know. Yeah, but uh, that's the biggest thing. I was playing at 190 last year, so uh, I really didn't, you know, have the greatest season last year. I did what I did for us to win. But um, I would say it's mainly just I it was more of a mental thing. I had to, you know, reevaluate, self-evaluate, which is kind of why I cut my hair. <laughs> uh, I just needed a fresh start, you know. I kind of had like a childish mentality or whatever, and I just had to grow into being a young man and learning what I need to do and what I had to do for the team to win. And that really what it was. Once I got the understanding of how to win, that's all it took. You know, the uh, the football that was the easy part. And I'm sure putting on that pounds was huge, but staying just as quick as you were too, because that was a big advantage. I actually got faster. Did you? I did from last year. Absolutely. I got way faster, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Because some people say, you know, the football, especially at the high school level, guys are like, I got to get bigger, bigger, bigger upper body. And then it just makes you slower, slower, slower in the lower body. So how did you manage those two things? Well, I mean, I just, well, we also have a, a, an amazing lifting program. So, you know, not only am I getting strong, but we do agility workouts and, um, you know, we don't just lift, lift, lift. You know, we have breaks, we have stretch days, yoga days. So you know, it's just all coming to play. Um, and also, I I was really battling a leg injury my first two years. So it was just like now that I'm like 100, percent my leg was stronger, and it's just it's just a matter of time. Was there any amount of pressure on you guys? In the fact, it's been 11 years since Bishop Lures won a state title. It's the longest since the Lures won their first in '83. Did you feel that any? Are you guys too young to worry about such things, or do you kind of know that hey, we've gotten there. We haven't got, we haven't won the big trophy. It's it's been over a decade since Lewis got one. I wouldn't say there was any pressure. It was more of like um, like we wanted to do it. Like I like I had a couple of interviews where I told Coach Lindsay like I want to get you your first. You deserve it, right? And um, so I wouldn't say there was pressure. It was more just like a, like fuel, I guess you could say. Like it was just something that we really wanted to do, not only for ourselves, but for the Lures community. Like I said, it has been 10 years, so it's been a long time. So it was kind of nice to be the team to do it. Um, but you know, I wouldn't say there was any pressure to do it. Damien, what's next for you? Uh, I plan on playing college football. I don't know yet, though. Um, I have a few offers out there with Manchester, Anderson, and Defiance, but I still have a few visits coming up, so my options are still open. I'm biased. Uh, I went to Anderson, so uh, sore Raven, sore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just throwing it out there. I've I've heard the new coaches uh, doing pretty good things down there. But uh, yeah. Damian, thanks so much for coming on. Thank we you. appreciate it. Appreciate Congrats you. on on the state championship and getting Lures back uh, on top. And let's bring in Matt Gili, who is offensive defensive line uh, assistant coach. Also works with us at Federated Media. Matt, before we get to all the football talk. You had a big big weekend recently. <laughs> I did. I did. I got engaged uh, two weekends ago. So yeah, uh, I got my first state championship ring as a coach. <laughs> so I decided to give my fiance now her ring as well. So kind of two and two there. And we were joking around before we came back is she just run a half marathon in Indy. So you let her do the running, and you stood at the finish line. So that was great planning on your part. You don't have to do any running. No, yeah, I, I'm a coach at heart, so I wanted to coach her <laughs> through that half marathon. And, yeah, once she finished, and I gave her a minute to catch her breath, so that way when I popped the question, she could uh, say yes. So it was uh, it was a very, very special day. How, for you guys, for you as a player, Lures, and then now as a coach at Lures, how has that uh, remained the same in terms of, of where you're at, but also different? And and the desire to get this team back to the top of the uh, the, the 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 pantheon of, of football in Class 2A. Yeah, absolutely. Up until uh, this year, I was a part of the last state championship team at Lures. So I knew as a player what it took to get to that point. 
Uh, this was my fourth year on staff. So my first year was Dame's freshman year, which we went to state and lost. So uh, it's just, it's it's definitely different. The You know, you work really hard Monday through Thursday to get them prepared and get them ready. And uh, you truly do feel like a proud dad on Friday nights, watching them go out there and play to their potential. And you get to coach kids like Dame, who are a fantastic representation of this Bishop Lewis community and shows what a four-year player, um, the growth that they can have, not only as a player, but as a person as well, to become a captain by his state championship game. Uh, it, it's little moments like that that, you know, uh, we all as a staff obviously want to get Coach Lindsay his first title, but uh, some of these seniors, the amount of time and effort they put in, it was super rewarding to see them reach the top and reach their full potential on the biggest stage. So it was definitely uh, an exciting Saturday down there at Lucas Oil. Matt Geely joining us, Bishop Bloor's assistant coach. When you look back at this season uh, as a coach, you know, players can kind of see things and, and Damien was pretty much flat out. Now we just we just kept rolling. Was was there ever a turning point for you with this team that you noticed where something changed? Yeah, uh, the first two weeks were definitely a learning moment for all of us. Uh, we kind of approached the offseason a little differently than we have in the past, really focusing on that speed and agility work along with strength and kind of came to grips with the fact that we weren't going to be at full strength for week one, and that was okay, but we wanted to make sure we were fully healthy, or at least as healthy as we could be by the time we got into playoffs, uh, something that we hadn't had a very good job accomplishing in the past, and it showed. Uh, we had a couple uh, injuries that were out there, but in general, our guys looked fresh. They looked ready to go, and it was definitely after that New Haven game uh, at home, I went over to our running back, Gio Jimenez, and uh, he looked at me, and he said, Coach, we're going to be okay. And I kind of looked at him and I believed him, but I also knew we had a lot of work to do if we were going to get to where we wanted to go. But I could see it in his eyes uh, as a captain that uh, he wasn't panicking. He understood what was happening, but he also understood where they needed to get better. And it was shortly after that Monday following that New Haven game. Uh, practice has changed. We saw a different type of intensity uh, from the staff and from the players and a different type of commitment. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, kind of like a, a basketball player, when you see one go in, you know, you can get hot quick. And uh, seeing one go in at Northrop and then getting on a roll from there was huge for these kids. And um, the defense stood up all year for us and kind of got us to the point of state uh, offense, you know, being an offensive line coach, kind of telling our kids every single week, you know, it's going to come, it's going to come, stay patient and rely on that defense that was just suffocating for most opponents. Uh, to then get to the state championship game and watch all four phases of our game come together was, like I said, super rewarding for everybody and uh, a good example of the hard work that that our kids put in. Matt, you mentioned hard work and, and desire and stuff like that. I want to talk about the situation at Lures. People say, well, you know, private school, whatever. But in this city, we all know anybody can go anywhere. And you look at Lures, it's after Northside gets turf, it's going to be the only SAC team or school without turf. At, at, at Lures Field, you have a, a small-ish weight room. I mean, it's very blue-collar oh, for at sure. Bishop Lures. And I think people maybe outside the area think, oh, power in two-way, they have all these facilities and all that. So it's not the case at Lures. It's very much a workman's mentality. And I think almost like a chip on on the shoulder of Lures, despite all the success, and I feel like like Damien is a well-representative of that, is, is maybe a chip as you look around to shiny new facilities everywhere and you go to Lures and 
and you have the old the old Lures Field and the tiny press box yep. and the, yep. the tiny weight room and stuff like that. It's just it, it's it's very much like I said a blue collar mentality. Absolutely, and it starts at the top. Uh, Coach Lindsay just won the two A Coach of the Year, and uh, to watch the way he leads not only us as a staff but then the kids is uh, it's definitely a role model of mine to see him put in the time and effort day in and day out to get our our facilities ready to you know go out and make sure our field's ready to go. We have a group of field dads on Tuesday nights to go out and mow the grass, paint the field, stuff that uh, no other school in this area has to worry about <laughs> anymore. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's really exciting and um, cool to see the Lures community, both you know players I played with, parents, um, parents that had kids 10, 15 years ago, the way they, they come back, the way they support us, the way they cheer us on. Uh, I, I know the kids feel it because, you know, they get random people that come up and want to give them a hug and tell them congratulations and they have no idea who they are. But uh, this community holds this team and this school close to their heart. And it's, you know, it's showcased by, you know, a, a facility that could use some TLC every now and then. <laughs> but, you know, we, we show up every day and uh, we, we just stick to tradition, stick to what got us to uh, winning state titles in the past and hope that uh, everybody buys in. And it's pretty cool to see the results when they do. Yeah, one of the biggest uh, Bishop Lures fans out there was Michael Franke, uh, who just passed away on Sunday. Always saw Michael and David out there on the sidelines at Lures Field. Uh, wanted to ask you about Kyle. You and Damian both mentioned it in terms of getting him as first. He's a low-key dude. But how much did it mean to him? You know, he sees Matt, his dad, win, what are you, win nine championships? Yep. And, and Kyle, to get that first one, it had to mean a lot to him, to a lot to the family. He's not a guy that's going to talk about it and no. maybe show it, but I can't help but think that it was big for him. No, and, and to be honest, you know, in, in the coach's office, it was never really brought up that, you know, that's what we're trying to do. But um, as assistants and as our players, we all knew in the back of our head that this is something that we wanted to help him accomplish. Uh, Kyle's first year as a head coach, I was a player, so uh, I got to play under him. And then to uh, watch him uh, see highlights of him play as a player and win some there and then win some as a coordinator, there's, you know, probably, I, I would have to imagine in the back of, of your head, you know, with your dad being so accomplished uh, at our school that, you know, you want to reach that level too. And he put in the time, he put in the work. Uh, he, he's taught me a lot about being a coach and more importantly, being a mentor to these kids and how to uh, how to relate to them, how to can't treat every one of them the same. You know, they all need different levels of love and, and kindness. And uh, it's been really rewarding. And as a staff, we're not only super proud of him, but just super proud of the uh, foundation that we were able to create for these kids and um, excited for the seniors like Dame to watch them go out, play college ball, get a good education and come back and be uh, great citizens for us in our community. Matt Gili, uh with Bishop Lures with us in studio. Before we let you go, new challenge next year, moving up to, to 3A. What are your thoughts as a coach on the success factor and, and where you guys going to have to take on a, a different look next year moving up in a class yeah another situation i'm familiar with uh we made it to semi-state my senior year in 3a so i understand that it's uh you know you get i'm not sure what sectional we'll fall into yet but i you know you just get a new uh new round of opponents you get a new round of styles of play of strength of speed things that uh, we do see throughout the year and you know scheduling a couple non-conference games to start will be awesome as well once again to kind of see different styles of play uh 
show our kids different levels of physicality and different levels of speed. And uh, as we know, once you kind of get in that tournament run, it's, you know, there's going to be games that are going to be close that are going to be decided by one score that could go either way. And it's just, uh, once again, trying to stay as healthy and as prepared as possible. That way, when we get into those moments, uh, we can look out there and trust our kids to make the right play and hopefully continue to move on. So, yeah, another challenge. It's exciting. Uh, it's definitely something that, once again, we would love to do is, you know, get one at 3A. But there's a lot of work that has to go in leading up to that. And with a new round of seniors and a new round of, of, of kids coming in, uh, it's going to be exciting to see them kind of create their own story. Uh, you never know who's going to kind of rise to the top as captains and leaders. And, uh, uh, you know, it's still December and I can't wait for, for August to come around as I know we all can't. And uh, it should be another exciting year and uh, very proud of, of Coach Lindsay once again in our community and very thankful for the opportunity of, to have us in here. So thank you very much. Absolutely appreciate it. That's Matt Geely uh, with Bishop Lures, offensive line, defensive line, assistant coach for Lures, along with Damian Jackson, who joined us a bit earlier, joining us in studio. We'll take a quick timeout. We come back. Notre Dame finally has perhaps their quarterback for the future. That's next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny. if you missed uh, the interview's last segment, with Matt Geely, uh, assistant coach at Bishop Lures, and Damian Jackson, a defensive end as part of their 2023 Class 2A state championship team. You'll want to catch that on the podcast, which will be out later this morning around 1030 or so. Look for it on your favorite podcasting platforms. Really good stuff uh, from both of them. Yeah, Damian was great. Stepped right up to the mic, and he was not shy. We were talking about the, the the Snyder guys that we had in, and all of them, they were jabbering away during the break, but when it said, here's the mic, come on up, none of them wanted to come up. <laughs> Damien was like, yes, I'm ready. And maybe he was affected by, what, what, he was just the only one as opposed to a group and stuff, but uh, Damien was ready to go and some good stuff from him and Coach Geely. So we appreciate that, and congratulations to the Lou Bishop Lewers, the 2A state title. I saw this uh, on the coming back, too. We were talking NFL, start the show. Adam Schefter reported this this morning, including Monday night's Giants and Titans victories. Eight underdogs won in week 14, the most in any NFL week this season. So pretty, pretty wild week in the NFL. I think as wild as you, you feel like it can get in the regular season. But we saw it throughout the NFL in week 14. That's, that's nuts. <laughs> I mean, right? You go... <laughs> I mean, go down the line. I mean, Bears beating the Lions, Giants beating the Packers, Titans beating the Dolphins. Um, I would say Browns beating Jaguars was probably uh, they were probably the dog. Bucks, I think, were the dog beating Buffalo or beating uh, Atlanta. Uh, Buffalo beating the Chiefs that was a dog. So it was uh, it was interesting all across the the league. Patriots beating the Steelers they were a dog. So. Uh, pretty wild week of the NFL. We'll see if it continues into week 15, start Thursday. And remember, triple header on Saturday, all on NFL Network. So if you're planning your Saturday and say, great, I can watch three NFL games on Saturday, you best make sure you have NFL Network. Yes. And also, if you want to listen to Colt Steelers, that game will be on WoWo 92.3 FM because we'll have Purdue basketball, uh, Purdue at the same time in Indy against number one Arizona ah, as of part course. of the Indy Classic. So pregame at 3.30 for both of those games. Kickoff for the Colts is at 4.30. Tip-off for Purdue is at 4.30. Ooh. So 
Uh, Colt Steelers on Wobo 92.3 FM coming up Saturday afternoon. We will have Purdue basketball again pregame at 3.30, tip-off at 4.30. Number three, Purdue. Number one, Arizona. And again, that game's on Peacock. Yes. So that game's on Peacock, Colts on NFL Network. So like you said, play it accordingly. You better, <laughs> best plan accordingly. This isn't going to be on Fox and ABC, respectively. If you have to go to Indianapolis on Saturday, if you have anything going on downtown Indianapolis Saturday... A best reschedule if you can. Yeah. Between the Colts and the Purdue Arizona. It'll be game. chaos. Chaos in downtown, downtown um, uh, Indianapolis coming up this weekend. I had a couple texts coming. Jake, uh, CK, thoughts on J- on rumors that Steelers are going to make a run at Justin Fields this offseason? I haven't necessarily heard that. Wouldn't surprise me, but it's all about what the Bears decide to do with Justin Fields. I think he's playing well enough right now that. The Bears would likely, in my opinion, pick up his option, exercise that option. Um, is he the long-term answer? I don't think so, but I think he's shown enough, particularly if the Bears can continue to play well and they finish with seven, even eight wins. Like, what do you do? Do you draft a receiver? Do you draft a lineman? Like, what? what's well, the play? Do you trade back? Well, you know me. It seems like every week I go go a different direction um <laughs> yeah for a while they're like no just keep justin fields running out i'm like really well that was more lack of confidence in caleb williams and drake may more than anything mm-hmm. but people are kind of looking at it as a as a or type situation do you keep justin fields or do you draft my thing is why don't you just do both you keep justin fields for an extra year you draft caleb williams or drake may or whoever and you develop them behind justin fields next year and then heading into 2025, you just see who emerges. Maybe Justin Fields crashes and burns next year. Maybe Justin Fields really emerges as a QB one. Maybe he gets hurt and whoever you draft comes in and proves they're the QB one. But give you options. Give the Bears options because Lord knows they can't get it right. So you may as well just have as many quarterbacks in the room as possible. They're going to have the number one pick unless Carolina goes on an absolute heater, which I don't see happening. So the question is what they do with that pick. And if there are enough teams that are desperate for quarterbacks that the Bears could move that for another haul. I mean, what they got last year. That was helpful. Getting was DJ helpful. Moore. And, and an additional first round. You could trade and get another first round pick for either a 2024 or 2025 and maybe even get a player for that number one pick. So Why not? If the Bears can continue to play well, the, the, the schedule is favorable when I look at it to get at least two more wins. I mean, if you can get to seven wins after getting three wins last year, that's progress. And if you get to seven wins or more, I I think maybe it's enough to keep Matt Eberflus's job and maybe Justin Fields around. But how eager is Pittsburgh going to be to want to trade for Justin Fields? Because I I don't see the Bears at this point releasing him outright. I think you're going to have to trade for him. And what are the Steelers willing to give up for a guy that isn't a sure thing no. at QB1? I mean, are, are you, if you're a Steelers fan, and I should ask Damian Jackson this, he's in, he's a Steelers fan, is have you seen enough of Kenny Pickett to know he's not the guy? I haven't. I still think there's potential there, but I'm not a Steelers fan. It would help if they had wide receivers to throw to. A little to. bit. <laughs> Me, they traded them all away. I'm trying to find out what the upgrade is between Kenny Pickett and Justin Fields. 
because I think Kenny Pickett is still developing as a quarterback, and I think we know what Justin Fields is and isn't in the NFL. But Steelers fans, let us know, 46862. I, I just, are you ready to punt on Kenny Pickett already? Which is kind of surprising. But hey, when you're rolling out Mitch Trubisky on Sundays or Saturdays this week, I understand the frustrations. Trust me, as a Bears fan, Lord knows, <laughs> I understand. You understand. I know where you're at. Uh, 46862, you can also text Hogan to that number. Again, Hogan to 46862, being the running for a pair of tickets uh, to see WWE Sunday Stunner coming up April 21st at the Coliseum as uh, WWE coming into town. We're giving away a pair today and a pair every day on the show this week. So again, text Hogan to 46862 and you could be a winner here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. All right, so Notre Dame at least has some clarity on their quarterback situation. Sam Hartman opted out of the Sun Bowl. He's entering the NFL draft and after chatter from Marcus Freeman saying that, oh, you know, he expects guys to play in the bowl game. Well, then that was prior to Notre Dame being relegated to the Sun Bowl. And then Freeman was very much noncommittal last week on, you know, who and he said, I'll let those players make the announcements on their own. That that to me seemed like a sign they weren't going to play. And Sam Hartman officially opted out yesterday. So that means it's Steve and jelly time or as Notre Dame called it peanut butter and jelly time. I get it in the uh, video they posted on their uh, official social media account. But look, here's the thing. Everyone loves the backup quarterback, right? Last year, uh, you saw Tyler Buckner come in with a chance. Drew Pine had already opted out and, and was in the portal after the season. Tyler Buckner came back, was healthy. It was a wild game against South Carolina, a couple pick sixes, but also threw a couple touchdowns had success, um, you thought, okay, is he the guy? Well, then Notre Dame went and got Sam Hartman in the, in the portal. So everyone loves the backup quarterback, but this is Steve Angeli's shot to prove himself. And he showed well in flashes this year, but it was always in mop-up time. It was never critical moments. So now we kind of get a look. And, y- you know, something I thought about, Moving forward in college football, I I think we see all these opt-outs as a negative, but if you're a fan of one of the teams playing in these games, you get to see younger players get a chance to play and see what they can do, which is, in a way, what fans ask for, right? It's always, there's this younger guy that if he just had a shot, right, he could do something great, and that's what Notre Dame fans hope to see with Angeli coming up in the Sun Bowl. Well, he's got an opportunity, and, and I've been saying it for for the latter part of the year. I wanted to see Steve Angeli get meaningful snaps for Notre Dame at some point. I didn't want to see him in mop-up duty, which he had been used in the regular season. And uh, first off, I don't understand why Sam Hartman is opting out, because he could help his draft stock more than hurt it, in my opinion, by playing in that game, particularly against an undermanned Oregon State team. So... I, I would have I would have played, but it gives Steve Angeli the opportunity because, of course, Notre Dame is going to take a, a, a portal quarterback. It's probably going to be Riley Leonard. You have C.J. Carr coming in. You have Kenny Binchy already on the roster. You have Steve Angeli is a dude that's kind of the odd man out entering next season. But if he can put together a good game, and I'm not saying that he's QB1 if he throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns against Oregon State heading into 2024, but I think there's a greater chance for him to be in the mix for Notre Dame next year as opposed to not being. Or at the very least, 
Steve Angeli can help his transfer stock tremendously with a big Oregon State uh, performance in the bowl game. Um, so you look at Steve Angeli, it's a win-win for him. Either he proves to Notre Dame that, yes, I can be a viable option behind center, or he shows other teams that, hey, look what you can get if I do indeed go into the portal if Notre Dame brings in a transfer quarterback. So um, it, it's 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 well-deserved, I think, for Angeli. I've said it before. I feel like he's been a good soldier. He's done everything that, that uh, Notre Dame has asked him to do, and he bided his time last year. He said he, he thought maybe he'd have a shot. Sam Hartman uh, doesn't get hurt he, all season long, basically gets a couple uh, some playing time here and there, but nothing major. Now he has a chance to help his his stock one way or the other and, and looking forward to it. Are are you of the the group that says Notre Dame's got to get a transfer quarterback because they don't have anyone ready? Or are you more of the group that Notre Dame needs to figure out a way to develop their quarterbacks and why not Steve Angeli? Well, I've been vocal before about Notre Dame has to figure out how to develop their quarterbacks. Unfortunately, and I've said this before too, Marcus Freeman is not in a position and Notre Dame is not in a position as a program to say, we're going to go into next season with some inexperience at quarterback and we're going to figure it out on the fly. And if we go seven and five, so be it. That's not where Notre Dame is, particularly when you look at how feeble its offense has been against good teams. They really, really, I, I, you can't look at the stat. They're skewed if you look at season stats for Notre Dame because they absolutely piled it on against inferior opponents and they struggled against teams that were good offensively. So you look at this team where the consistently the expectation is double-digit wins and next year you have to feel the goal is make the playoff. Anything less is a disappointment. And when you have that constant pressure annually, it's very, you want the most reliable player behind center entering the season. And when the expectations are that, you always seem to look to the portal. Well, and, and for Notre Dame, I mean, it'll be different in the sense that the offensive line is actually going to have significant turnover year over year, and they're losing a lot of talent there, but they're bringing back, I mean, yes, they're losing Audrey Estime, but they have a ton of depth at running back. They have a lot of receivers now, and some of them coming in from the portal so they will actually have experience in that position and experience it tight end. Like they're, they're good everywhere except quarterback and offensive line. Those are question marks on offense. Then on defense, you feel pretty good about a lot of the position groups, linebacker being the only one with a ton of turnover at the moment. So far. Yeah. The, so the far portal is still is open. Thing, but it's still an, uh, you, you look at Notre Dame going into next year and it's still an area of concern with the offense. You look at who's catching the football, who's throwing the football. But, but if they had an elite quarterback this season and you thought Which Sam Hartman they, would, would yes. be that guy, he was not. There are, are they a one loss team, a two loss team, or are they still a three loss team? Uh, I'd look at maybe a 10 and two team. Yeah. I don't know if uh, like, Hartman won you the Duke game, but I feel like he lost you the Clemson and Louisville games. And I don't think it's fair to put all the onus on Sam Hartman as opposed to those wide receivers and how disappointing that group was this past season. But I also think overall, as a collective 12, 12 games, you're looking at Sam Hartman and said, you expected more. Yes. Right? Yes. I think that's fair. It's fair. And now you're going in, um, it appears to be, you're going to pluck a, a quarterback from the ACC from a program that is happy with mediocre results. And Duke, yes, had a good season under Mike Elko in the last two years. 
but the expectations at Duke are different than at Notre Dame, similar to Wake Forest, where Sam Hartman came from. I don't think Sam Hartman was the right guy to handle the pressures and the the consistent demands of a Notre Dame quarterback. And now I'm unsure if Riley Leonard's that guy. Steve Angeli was a dude that was brought into South Bend to be a quarterback at Notre Dame. And he's going to get that opportunity in the bowl game to prove maybe he is a, an answer for 2024. Couple of quick texts uh, on the the Steelers. Uh, someone said Steelers have receivers, and no, I'm not ready to give up on Pickett. Another person, how can you give Kenny Pickett a pass for the team surrounding him and not give Justin Fields the same treatment? So you look at it. Fields has DJ Moore. Yeah, he has a top um, ten receiver in DJ Moore. He has a top fifteen tight end in Cole Komet, in my opinion. He has a good number two in Darnell Mooney. He has a good one two punch in the backfield. I feel with Khalil Herbert and Dante Foreman. He has weapons. That's that's not an excuse anymore. The, the Steelers, meanwhile, they have Najee Harris at running back, solid. Jalen Warren as a backup, having a, a good season. Uh, you have George Pickens, who's a good number one receiver, right? Young, but a good number one receiver. Deontay Johnson, uh, Pat Frymuth, a, a tight end. There's just I don't know. I I think the Bears still have the better skill position. Players. Yeah, but I don't I don't not know by people, a lot, but by a little. But I don't buy in these people that still are using lack of playmakers around Justin Fields as a reason why no, he's no. not a bona fide number one quarterback in the NFL. That's a tired argument. And by now, a a what two points? A the quarterback raises the play of the players around him. And I'm not taking anything away with Justin Fields. I think he's a phenomenal leader and he takes responsibility and all that stuff. But I also look at the team around him and say he's got better weapons than people are saying he does. You finally got a number one in DJ Moore. He's a top 10 receiver in the league. Cole Komet has emerged, in my opinion, as a top 15 tight end. And the running game is number one, was number one in the league last year with those running backs. And of course, Justin Fields being able to scramble. Stop listening to people that tell you that the that the Chicago Bears have no weapons. They have weapons. They're not the Dolphins. They're not the Chiefs. They're not the 49ers, but they have weapons. 46862, the text line number 46862. Coming up on the other side, Blake Sebring, uh, author, longtime Comets beat writer for the New Sentinel, will join us to remember Comets team president and co-owner Michael Franke. That's next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Coming up this hour on the show, Blake Sebring uh, will join us. Author, longtime Comets beat writer, he will join us to remember Michael Franke. Team president, co-owner, passed away on Sunday. Comets released the news yesterday. Also, Purdue officially a national title contender. We'll explain what that means. And IU... Picking up 2024 commits, thanks to James Madison as Coach Kurt Signetti off and running on the recruiting trail for the Hoosiers. We'll get to all that this hour. Plus, don't forget, you can text Hogan to 46862. Again, Hogan to 46862 and be in the running for a pair of tickets to see WWE Sunday Stunner coming up April 21st at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. Let's head to the guest line. Author, longtime Comets beat writer for the New Sentinel, Blake Sebring joins us. Blake, uh, we, we just talked to you last week. Uh, unfortunately, the news to talk with you this time, a bit more of a, a, a somber connection. But, uh, Blake, thanks for coming on, and, and we appreciate you taking the time to remember Michael Franke with us this morning. Well, it's been an honor to, to be able to, to highlight Michael. I mean, it, he deserves it. 
So with with Michael, I think the biggest thing that the fans and even the media has is just the fact that he was a straight shooter and, and, and told it like it is. He, he wasn't trying to hide anything. He was, it was like a direct link for us as media and for the fan base to the comments. And, and that endeared him. And is, is that why? Was there more to it? Why he was so endearing to everyone around here in Fort Wayne? Well, part of it is you couldn't have a bad day if you were around Michael. Um, he was so bubbly, so energetic, so passionate that if you were having a down day, he could get you out of it in a minute. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, he supplied the energy. I can't imagine the feeling around the Comet's office because, I mean, he'd come in and he'd be jumping around and bopping and just smiling and laughing and, you know, he'd tease everybody and... Boy, on days like this and yesterday, that's when you needed Michael the most. And now Michael's not there to provide that. And it's a completely different atmosphere. It's a completely different feeling. You know, Blake, for for people that don't understand the impact that Michael had behind the scenes, I mean, take us back to late 80s, early 90s, and and the entire Franke family being able to come in. And then the impact that Michael had going forward with the leagues and and all that, he was instrumental in so many different things that maybe people are too young to to remember, like me, or just didn't really oh, yeah, understand. Yeah, right. Nice try, Justin. Nice try. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, okay, let's look at it this way. It's been what thirty three or thirty four years that they've owned the team. Now, you can't find more than a handful of people in minor league hockey who've owned their teams ten years. You know. It just doesn't happen. And partly that's why, uh, you know, the quickest way to become a pauper if you're a millionaire is to buy a sports team, you know, a minor league sports team. And everybody, they're all hilarious because they come in as fans or they're successful in another business and they think they know what they're doing. And minor league sports is completely different. It's completely different from any other business. And, it was funny because, you know, Michael would go, he started off, you know, when he, when they bought the team, you could have swore Michael was 15. He looked that young and he had, you know, he never lost that energy, but so, okay. So he goes to the league meetings and stuff and, and, you know, pretty soon everybody in the league's changed except for Michael. And then, you know, you switch leagues and they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You country bumpkins from Fort Wayne. What do you know? And then, Within five, six years, it's like Michael's the only one left. And, you know, it got to the point where he was the chairman of the board of uh, governors and in pretty much every league. And because he'd been there enough and been there long enough, they kind of had to listen then. And the other thing was, is how many times have the Frankies rebuilt the team over the years? It's got to be five or six times now. And each time they end up right near the top or winning a title. I mean, they've won a title in every league they played in, you know, so they knew what they were doing and they knew that their formula worked and they had confidence that if it was not working, you know, every time they'd come back from the the traditional Thanksgiving trip, they'd figure out, okay, this guy's not going to fit here. Let's move. And they'd go make the trades and stuff they needed. And then usually by new year's Eve, things had settled down and then they would take off. But they they stuck to their formula, they stuck to what they knew, and they made it work every time. Well, a lot of these owners would come in and think, 
it's just a sports team. I can get the guys I want, and then like you know, I can overpay them or whatever. They were, as Michael used to say, they were jock sniffers, not owners. You know, and and then you know, within two or three years, they were, I'm losing too much money here. I can't keep doing this. You know, and then they'd say, well, man, I should have listened to that guy. You know, and that's how he became the chairman of the board of governors for all these leagues and stuff because he could. He was smart, and he knew what he was talking about, and he could take somebody and say, you know, been here, done that a few times now. You might want to consider looking at this and stuff. You know, I mean, it's going to lead you a lot of grief if you if you don't make some changes this way and, and treat it like a separate business from your other business. And, and you know, it doesn't do you any good to, to uh, you know, to – Get become friends with the players, and you got to be the boss. And 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 people finally listen and stuff because they're still here, they're still winning, they're still drawing, and um, you know it's just crazy how everybody thinks they know better when they get in there, and, and it's like, well, you you don't need to reinvent the wheel. What what's fascinating with Michael to me, Blake, was you mentioned it. He can be in a, a boardroom full of people and then immediately leave and and go have some beer and and talk to fans and just being able to bridge that and, and be both, which is is very difficult for people. And he could connect with so many different people, different types of people, and you always felt like you could open up to Michael at any time. And Lord knows he'd open up to you. It was just a a very endearing personality a guy that a man that could handle all types of situations i used to wonder how do mike and dave ever go to the grocery and what's that like (laughs) Like, especially in the spring and in the playoffs you know when everybody's hyper and you know is it you get a question every aisle and i heard a ton of people yesterday talking about how they'd be out uh eating dinner or something and Michael would come in, and he'd come right up and say hi. You know, I mean, it wasn't, you'd think, my gosh, this guy does this all the time. You'd think he'd just want to go to his table and sit down. But no, he made a point of walking up and saying hi. And these are, there's a lot of people who would see him once a year, and they could never figure out how he remembered their names. You know, and he just did that in the public. He didn't shy away from it at all. Um, I, you know, I kind of think <laughs> this is weird, but I kind of think Michael was sucking energy off of everybody, you know, because he needed so much of it and he had so much of it. But he always left everybody with a smile. You know, he always left them with, how cool is that? You know, I mean, we got to talk to Michael Franke and he'd answer questions. You know, he wasn't shy and, you know, he may not tell you everything, but he'd tell you something, you know, he'd make you feel like you were part of it. Blake Sebring joining us, a longtime comments beat writer on the guest line. And for Michael in the comments, I think the, the part, and you kind of touched on this briefly, it's it's that he had the energy for the fans. He also had the energy to, to manage the team. And also, at the same time, they had so much success. It didn't matter the league. Uh, the comments have found a way to win a championship. Seven championships in, in five different leagues during uh, his tenure with the organization. Oh, and they kept the team in Fort Wayne. <laughs> you know, there, there wouldn't yeah. be a Comets franchise here still without the Frankies. And people, people, and that, that's kind of cool. That says 
that is what really says how successful they were is that the fan base has turned over three, four times since then. And, and the folks today, for the most part, have no concept of that. So it's, it's almost like it's become irrelevant in the times today, what they went through, which really tells you how far they came. Because they are the only owners of the, front of the, the Comets in 72 years who have a chance by the time they retire or sell the team or whatever to be able to get some of their money out of it, which is just astonishing when you consider all the things that the franchise has been through. I mean, they never should have lasted five years, you know, thanks to Bob Chase and Bud Gallmire and Eddie Long and Ken Elliott and, and Connell Lister. There's no way they should have lasted because the first owners basically gave the team to Ken Elliott and Colin Lister because there wasn't any value to it. And they were like, uh, here, see what you can do with this, maybe. You know, I mean, and then you get Lenny Thornson, and then you start winning in the 60s, and, and then you the whole 70s uh, with the championship with Mark Boylo and those guys. And then you get to the 80s after Harvester League, and it's like, oh, crap. Then you got Bob Britt, who, uh, you know, had lost the team, and then Colin Lister took it over. And, you know, I mean, it was crazy how many people lost their shirts owning the team. And then David Welker bought it out of bankruptcy court. And then David moved the team because he was fighting. And, and, you know, and David's a big part of this because David gave the name back to the Frankies. He gave Al Sims back to the Frankies. He gave players back to the Frankies. He could have held them up for all that. And he never did. You know, I mean, he gets a lot of grief. But, man, he did some good stuff that really, in some ways, helped them get going and get started. But, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, even the Frankies lost a ton of money in the 90s when they were in the IHL. I mean, there were liens on their houses and stuff because of the, the money that was just going crazy in that league. Remember, you guys might be too young, but there was a time when the IHL owners and stuff thought, well, we'll take on the NHL. They were talking yeah. about playing in Europe. I mean, they were. it was <laughs> insane. It was like, yeah, millionaires taking on billionaires. That's going to work out well. <laughs> you know. And, and the Frankies were not that. They've never been that. And they were, they were using all the expansion money to try to find players to keep up. And that's how they got the Russian players, because they could get the Russian players for eighty dollars to $90,000 a year instead of $200,000 a year for the former NHL players that were coming down the league. And they just couldn't keep up anymore. And they knew if they raised ticket prices too far, it just wasn't going to work here. I mean, if Fort Wayne, uh, Ben Smith said it best, we have a vapor lock on our wallet. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but they kept making it work, you know, and then they got Scott Sprode in the office and goodness gracious, what a blessing he's been to the, to the franchise. And, you know, I mean, there's so many ups and downs throughout the, the 72 years and the Frankies experienced it too. It hasn't all been always perfect all the time. But, you know, Michael just, with his smile and his energy, he kept everybody going. He kept everybody upbeat. He allowed Dave. I, I think one of the reasons Michael always talked to the fans, even when the team was really struggling, 
is he took he 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 didn't mind talking to the fans, and they knew he was a fan. Um, and but that kept pressure off David and allowed David to to think enough and make the changes that needed to be made, and they always did. I mean, they've never been afraid to start over and rebuild the team, and that's kind of where they're at right now, uh, trying to rebuild the franchise and and do it with young players and a young coach, and and it's a different level with the ECHL, and, you know, it's just, it'll work. They'll make it work. I mean, this will just redouble their efforts, and, you know, they'll, 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 They'll come through, you know, I mean, they'll make the changes that they need to. It may not happen this season because everybody's learning and everybody's stretched so thin right now, and and everybody's trying to just – I can't imagine what it'd be like in that office because this is a small family business, and, you know, they're all family. I mean, they've been working together for 30 years, and the staff really hasn't uh, expanded that much. And now the heart of it is gone, and they are hurting. I don't blame them a bit for not wanting to to speak about this yesterday because it hurts so bad for them. And I just can't imagine what it's like to go to work for them now. Even though they've known this has been coming and they've carried this for a year, knowing that it wasn't going to be great, and, you know, but it's like, I mean, how do you, how, if you work with your big brother, or in David's case, your little brother, how do you handle this? How do you, how do you move on? You know, after they've already lost Richard last, you know, how do you keep pushing? How do you just, how do you focus? And it's hard to understand the impact. We've heard all this about the impact upon the fans and the fan base, but that office right now, I just, I just can't imagine. I mean, Michael would be the guy you'd go for consolation about all this. He would be the guy you'd go, you know, to cheer you up. And I, I don't know how they, they, uh, I don't know how they fight through this right now. I mean, part of it is it's just going to take time and they don't have the time right now with the way the team is struggling and stuff. And, I just, you know, I just hope everybody gives them a little bit of grace to uh, to to settle down and figure things out. And I, I think they will. I mean, they always have. I mean, but this one's going to be their hardest one yet. Blake, when you look at, at the comments, how much do we owe not just Michael but the entire Franke family for the expectations that Comets ha- fans have, sometimes unrealistic <laughs> expectations. But, you know, how much that, that, that hockey has changed, minor league hockey from 90 to now and various leagues and all that stuff. But the expectation of the Comets being a, a perennial playoff team, a perennial championship contender, as unrealistic sometimes as that can be, that was set, in my mind, a lot by, by the Fronkies and their expectations. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I still remember one of the first or second press conferences in the summer of 1990, I believe, man, I'm old and I, my memory, you know, um, <laughs> but I believe it was Michael who said, our goal is to win the turn cup. And it had been, and it ended up being 20 years till in between cups. But I mean, you know, part of that was bravado, but part of that was they were fans 
and they understood how important that was. Now, I mean, who could have ever dreamed the ultimate playoff? Undefeated, beating San Diego, which was an NHL team. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, who could have ever dreamed it? You know, and I remember sitting down with David Franke that summer, and I said, how do you guys, you're never going to copy this. It's never going to happen again. And he said to me, um, well, okay, what happened, you know, game uh, three with Scott Gruel scoring the overtime goal. What if that happens in game seven? What's that like? And I'll be darned if 2008, Justin Hodgman triple overtime against Port Huron, he scores the game-winning goal in game seven. I mean, you know, it's so fantastic how many lifetime memories have been provided by the franchise and how they shared that with everybody in Fort Wayne. I mean, uh, it's amazing. I always wonder, what, what should they be charging for tickets? You know, with the success that they had and everything, what really should they be charging for tickets? You know, if they were in any other city and if they were any other people, are you paying $5 more per ticket? Are you paying $10 more? But they always understood this was a generational thing. How many season ticket holders started coming as kids with their parents? How many of them, their first date was with, uh, with their future spouse was a Comets game? I mean, my gosh, if you think of it that way, and, and you think about them taking their kids to the games, how many today of the parents, they remember Icy when they were kids? And their kids get the same joy out of seeing Icy today as they did in the, in the 90s. You know, how many memories do they just, you just think, in, like the midline, E. Fletcher, I mean, um, Kaylee Schrock, oh my gosh, I mean, uh, all those guys, how, I mean, you just mention the names and you smile. And that's all because of the Frankies. And the thing is, they, they smile too at those memories. You know, I mean, they always were fans first. Um, they were also smart and businessmen. I always loved how it's so funny. I mean, I covered them long enough. I knew how they thought. Like, uh, if I'd see a guy who played here that I know they respected and liked and, and just respected their work ethic and how they'd fit in the room, they'd get released by somebody else. And I'd call David Franke that night and I'd say, when are you picking up so-and-so from the airport? And he'd be like, how the heck do you even know that? (laughs) But they did it so often. I mean, you look at all the guys who came back. How many times did Colin Chalk come back? How many times did Pokey come back? How many times did Daniel Maggio come back last year? How many times did Guy came back after like 10 years? You know, how many times did guys that were the heart and soul of teams end up coming back? You know, if Jamie Shaftman was still playing today and he, you know, wanted one last season and having fun, my gosh, they'd bring that guy back in a heartbeat because they know the heart of the guy. And that was always more important to them than the statistics. I mean, Daniel Maggio, he's not a production guy. He made a huge difference in that locker room, though, because he's an adult. 
and he gets it. It's so funny to me how many guys would leave angry because they didn't get the money they thought they were going to get, and they'd go get the money somewhere else, and then they come back. Ian Boyce, Kelly Hurd, um, you know, it's just amazing how many guys ended up coming back, and they were just so happy to be here. And, you know, and these guys, you, you don't even remember they left him because that's the impact that they had. But that was about people as much as it was about players, and that has been the secret to the Comet's success over the last 34 years. It's always about people versus commodity of players. Like Sebring, it, that, that's it, a... It's a great example. You know, I mean, you know, it's just crazy how... You know, people would be angry because they didn't get, and then they come back and they they realize what they had. Blake Sebring joining us, and that's a, a good note to end on as far as the, the Frankies. It it is about people, and, and Michael Franke, I think, did an excellent job of of showing that that it wasn't just about making money for the franchise. It was about the players. It was about the fans. It was about the community. And uh, thanks so much, Blake, for taking the time to remember Michael with us this morning. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for the chance. That's Blake Sebring with us, and you know, I, I like how he he, he kind of into that is it it is about the people, not the not the commodities or anything, and it, that link unfortunately is gone. And now you just, I guess, the kind of the next question is what is next for the comments? And it's not to take anything away from the other uh, members of the family. David was very much the guy and still is behind the scenes and, and doing player stuff. And Michael was, was very much maybe the more visible uh, between the two and more um, willing to discuss the team openly and honestly. And I remember um, with, with, with Michael and his his wife that that they were, they were family friends. I think, I think it was Oh three, the summer of Oh three. And, and brought the uh, Colonial Cup over to uh, my aunt and uncles, and we all got to drink out of the Colonial Cup. It was pretty cool, and it were just uh, personal people. They they say you know you never want the fans to run a t- run your team. Well, the Frankies are fans, and they've been able to do a great job at running a franchise while also being fans, and and that's very rare. And Michael was a big part of that. And again, the standard. Because of the Frankies, is that the Comets make the playoffs every year? <laughs> Sometimes the standard, the absurd standards that some people have for the Comets is because of the Frankies, because they had and still have those standards. And something we weren't able to add, ask Blake, we ran out of time, but just how much minor league hockey has changed over 33 years and mm-hmm. how many uh, peaks and valleys that the Frankies have gone through. I mean, you came in and, and you took over during the IHL and, and, and Blake mentioned when the IHL got too big for its britches and had expansion teams in Vegas and Houston and Detroit and and tried to, to be this big thing and then it fell apart and then you end up in the USHL and the CHL and the second iteration of the IHL before finding a home in the ECHL. It was tough sometimes and and it changed from really being able to have your own independent team to being affiliated and having to mess around with that. And, and the, the emergence of Europe as an option for, for players from North America and being able to the infusion of, of the Russian players, Igor Chibarev and Sergei Krivo Krasov and guys like that. It's been so many different things that have happened in minor league hockey over 33 years. And Michael and his family 
have been at the leading edge of that and being able to weather every single storm and the comets merge on the other side just as 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 good as they've always been. 46862, the text line number 46862. If you have any thoughts on Michael Franke, feel free to send them our way. Also, don't forget you can text Hogan to 46862 and be in the running for a pair of tickets to WWE Sunday Stunner coming up April 21st at the Coliseum. Again, text Hogan to 46862 to be in the running for those. Coming up on the other side, Purdue is officially... A national title contender. We'll explain next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan at 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and again, don't forget, you can text Hogan to 46862. Again, Hogan to 46862, being the running for a pair of tickets to WWE Sunday Stunner coming up April 21st at the Coliseum. Uh, again, your chance to win. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. So just make sure you get your entries in before nine o'clock this morning. Uh, a text on, on the comments. Want to touch on this? Uh, CK Blake made it sound like the comments are going to go under. Now I'm nervous that this is their last season. No, 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 no. It's just it's it's more of what what does the family do next, and that's the the ultimate question that you know we won't know until if and when they make a move. I think one thing you can you can take solace in is is Michael's been battling illness for a while. This isn't just a sudden thing, and all of a sudden the the franchise the the ownership is trying to figure out what to no. do. They've they've been able to put a plan in place, execute that plan, hopeful that Michael would be able to recover and return in some capacity. But it, this is not a, a a sudden thing by any means. No. So, uh, again, I would not be concerned to that extent. No, they're not going anywhere. No. Absolutely not. Um, so, Purdue. Boilers officially a national title contender. So, the Week 6 AP poll is out. Purdue is ranked third. And this goes all the way back for the last 21 years. If you are ranked in the top 12 in the AP poll for the week six poll, the national champion has come from that for the last 21 years. Mm-hmm. So the Boilers on that short list. Here's a look at the other teams on the list. And obviously Arizona on that list. That's a given Kansas, Purdue, Houston, Yukon, Baylor, Marquette, Creighton, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Oklahoma, Tennessee. Ah, is there any team you would eliminate right off the bat? Like I, I would Purdue. eliminate Tennessee. <laughs> Is that Purdue? You don't think Tennessee's got the staying no, power? No, Tennessee, huh? Oklahoma, Gonzaga. I haven't seen enough this year. Like Gonzaga's never been able to get yeah. over the hump when it's high. And I, I throw in North Carolina. I'm not. Really? I'm not buying. You know, what's interesting is Saturday. You will have the number one team in the state of Indiana in terms of of playing a game with Arizona. You'll have the number two team. Or no, Kansas is one, didn't they? Uh, no, Arizona? Arizona's one. Arizona's one. Then you'll have the number two team. You'll have the number three team with Kansas and Purdue. And then you'll have Indiana. <laughs> so the top three teams in the country will be playing in the state of Indiana on Saturday, along with the Hoosiers. So Kansas, number two. Purdue, number three. Arizona, number one. So you have a top three matchup. And then Kansas at IU a couple of marquee non-conference games and 
uh, for Purdue, I mean, this is an opportunity to move back up to number one, right? They they beat Arizona. You would think they would move back up to the top spot. Um, unique opportunity. I, I, I think the other thing with this Boiler team, Zach Eady's been really good this year. And I get that he was really good last year, but he's been, you could argue, better this year than what he was last season, which is hard to believe. But you, you look at the numbers, and he has been outstanding. Yeah, you look at it and just been the the, the past week averaged thirty, close to ten rebounds. Uh, he was twenty one of thirty for the week from field goal per shooting. Uh, Eighteen of twenty free throws, including eleven of eleven against Alabama, and he was just uh, uh, as advertised once again. It's 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 so tough to talk about uh, Purdue because there's just there's not much to talk about. Because they've been so dominant and the expectations are so high and they've mainly delivered and leaves you with questions on can this team close? Can this team do a lot in March or do very little? And, and that's the ultimate question, right? We we have to kind of coast through this regular season knowing that once we get to March, that's when it will count. But Zach Eady's been improved. I mean, his, his field goal percentage is up. His free throw percentage is up. Uh, his rebounding is down a little bit, but his blocks are up by half a block a game. Uh, his turnovers are down by about a half a turnover a game. And he, his scoring is up by two and a half points per game. And I get it. We're still early in the season. We're not into the thick of, of Big Ten play and all that yet. But what Purdue has done, they've checked every box. That's all you can do. They're, they've been in the top five pretty much the in, in the entire season. So... There's not really been a doubt. Yes, you, you lose at Northwestern in overtime. At, I don't know. I'm not concerned about that, right? Uh, no. It's it's more of what will they look like in mid-February, right? W- will there be a lull because they know that what's important is March? Will, there, will this team let up at all? I don't think they will. I don't think that'll be an issue. Or will something happen where they have a, a late season swing that we should view as a warning sign like what happened last year? When you look at Purdue through 10 games, Caleb, I'm asking you a question here. Mm-hmm. Through 10 games, who would you identify as the key outside of Zach Eady to a long tournament run? Is Bra- it Braden Smith? Braden Smith. I mean, he's the second leading scorer. He's second on the team in rebounding, which I don't think people appreciate. Obviously, he's a great rebounder for being 5'11". Yes. He's, he's, he's not only in the right place at the right time, see me all the time, but he plays above his height in terms of rebounding. Makes his body bigger than it is. He's, he's a very good rebounder for his size. Of course, over seven assists per game. So I think you're, you're pointing at him as being the guy. Seven, seven assists, averaging seven assists and two turnovers per game. And, and the turnovers, that's the key, right? If he limits his turnovers... Which he, he is right now. Only a couple turnovers a game. Purdue can be successful. If he struggles with turnovers, uh, which he did at times last year, Purdue will struggle. It's it's that simple. To me, like Edie will get his, and Edie's done an excellent job this season of, of rising his game to another level which I think a lot of people just aren't paying attention to. Right. But he's having a better season so far than he did last year. And the fact that he's getting it done, like, I mean, you look at how well he played in the Alabama game. I mean, that's a tough game. And then we'll, there'll be another tough mat- matchup coming up. You know, Omar Ballot, right? That'll be tough. 
against Arizona. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing for me with Purdue last year to this year is you knew you had Edie, but who was that other guy? Because sometimes a lot of people say, well, it's Fletcher Lawyer or Braden Smith. Those were two true freshmen that you were putting a lot of pressure on. My thing was Brandon Newman had to be better last year because he was the veteran guy. And he wasn't uh, in that backcourt. And he wasn't. So, So there was still that open question last year in terms of who's that consistent second guy. And you never really had that answered. Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith, yeah, but it's tough as true freshmen late in the season, in the postseason. Now, you look at Braden Smith as a completely different player with confidence. He still has to prove it when it matters in March, but you feel a lot better about your situation with him than you did last year. You have a veteran guy in Lance Jones transferring in that can deliver. And then you have Fletcher Lawyer. So whereas last year, you looked at that backcourt and say, you know what? I don't trust any of these guys when it matters. All of a sudden, you have three dudes that you feel a lot better than anybody at any time last year in that backcourt with Smith, Jones, and Fletch. I agree. I agree. And and I get it. The haters are, are going to hate uh, several texts on the text line you know, oh, saying you know as long as they're... Purdue isn't number one and they play Rutgers or any team in the past 20, 21 years ranked, not named Purdue Boilermakers. You left that out. It, look, I get it. They got to prove it. We're not they saying do. that it, it's going to be an easy ride to get to where they need to go, and that's the final four. But everything is ahead of them, and Saturday will be an interesting data point. We talk about in the NFL, you have 17 data points for this Purdue team. It's a lot more, right? But it's it's all about what we see in the non-conference and so far, they've checked the boxes. And then what we'll see in Big Ten play. And yes, they've they played, what, two games. They blew out Iowa. They lost on the road at Northwestern in overtime. Not really, not really a whole lot to take away yet from the Big Ten. But the Big Ten looks down, as we touched on yesterday. And Purdue should have ample opportunity to roll through conference play and earn another number one seat. 46862, the text line number 46862. Your thoughts on the Boilers. Also, a quick note, uh, Ja'Kai Newton out for the season for IU with a knee injury. So a freshman uh, hasn't been able to hit the floor yet and won't hit the floor this season for Indiana. Not a big loss considering he hadn't played to begin with. I mean, he was a redshirt candidate even before the injury issues. So now that it's official, you can scratch Ja'Kai Newton off uh, in terms of being any type of impact for the Hoosiers this season. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up here on a Tuesday IU. Picking up 2024 commits in football, thanks to James Madison. And a Florida bear had a run-in with a reindeer. I'll explain all of that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Tuesday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Also, your final chance to enter today's giveaway for a pair of tickets to WWE Sunday Stunner, April 21st at the Coliseum. Coming up next year here in Fort Wayne. Uh, keyword is Hogan. So just text Hogan to 46862 Hogan to 46862 and you'll be in the running. So Indiana football coach, Kurt Signetti, uh, going with a familiar route, uh, in recruiting. I picked up not one, not two, but three 2024 commits. Thanks to James Madison, former JMU quarterback commit, Alberto Mendoza, uh, committed to the Hoosiers. He's a three-star prospect, and I think what's notable uh, at a powerhouse Miami football program, Miami Columbus, 
list of some of the quarter uh, the, the players to come through here. Mario Cristobal, uh, Brian Greasy, Mike Shula, uh, among some of the alums. Not too shabby, right? Uh, also, defensive lineman Mario Landino, another former James Madison commit, and the third defensive end Daniel Duke and Dukeway flipped to IU from JMU. Plus, defensive back Jordan Greer withdrew from the portal and will return to Indiana after all. Do, are you buying or selling JMU players coming in, whether they're transfers or recruits, and being able to to play Big Ten football? Not confident. The reason why they're JMU recruits commits because they don't have any power five offers yeah i mean these are sunbelt quality players that iu is bringing in is that really going to impact indiana in the big 10 i mentioned that the concern for me was bringing over too much james madison flavor in terms of coaching now we're seeing a lot of james madison flavor in terms of the recruits that that Coach Signetti's bringing in. I, and, and, and those are recruits, right? right. Not, not, not transfers, transfers, which is different. These are recruits. These are guys that have no other option than going to a sun, but they're sunbelt quality players. Maybe you can find a gem here or there, but by and large, you can't build a Big Ten contender or even a team that can compete in the Big Ten with sunbelt quality players. You just can't do it. So I understand trying to build a roster quickly in year one, particularly with the amount of players that have went into the portal. I understand that, but the level of recruiting needs to go up considerably in year two, or at least an off season number two for Indiana. Meanwhile, a black bear in Florida attacked a reindeer. Uh, this was in reindeer in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Well, a life-size reindeer decoration. Oh, okay. <laughs> Took, you know, one of those lit-up reindeers uh, in a family's yard and dragged it away. Attacked it. Um, the security cameras recorded the bear, wandered up to the light-up reindeer. Uh, the bear comes in, paws it down, knocks over two reindeer decorations, pulls one out of view of the camera, later found at the end of the home's driveway with some slight damage. Um, I mean, we've all wanted to do that. Yeah. To certain bear, people's uh, yeah, I Christmas displays. I don't disagree. He can get away with it. The exactly. bear can get away with it. Humans cannot. <laughs> exactly. I just think that's awesome. <laughs> He's doing what we all want to do with some people's Christmas decorations. Yes. All right. That wraps it up for us today. Thanks to Matt Geely and Damian Jackson for coming in in hour number one of Bishop Bluer's football program. Thanks to Blake Sebring. Doing us to remember Michael Franke for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick show up next. Third with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from three to four, and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from four to six, and another chance to win a pair of WWE Sunday Stunner tickets. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.